Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revivals, emo violence, even ska. We're here to help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council. Just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Forgive me for running off the fine and the one thing I have to do Welcome to another episode of the Washed Up Emo Podcast. Uh, today we have um, Ed Reyes and Ian Moreno from the band Sunday's Best and The Little Ones. Uh, Sunday's Best uh, put out an EP on Crank Records and then a couple releases on Polyvinyl. A highly underrated band from the late 90s, early 2000s, which means you automatically get featured on this podcast. So w- welcome, guys. <laughs> hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um well, I I think you guys know the know the way that we start these. I think really way to start is how you guys kind of got into punk, hardcore, indie, emo, um, and kind of some of your early show memories um, and kind of where you guys grew up and the whole scene because that's always interesting to hear people's base and then we kind of move on into your into your career. Yeah, Ian, I I think I think Ian, you should start because. Ian grew up in San Diego, and, and you know, and as you know, like San Diego has a rich, rich uh, emo slash screamo history. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think I was probably into what you would consider just like, you know, whatever mainstream uh, rock music at, at that time. This is this would be uh, probably ninety uh, two going into high school, and it was in high school I went to an all boys actually private school, and uh, I met up with other kind of I guess you could say like minded. Um, people who were interested in music and played music and just kind of immediately gravitated to all the like musician types because there's a high school, there's a band, and you know there's all these people who are in band class and quickly became friends. And it was there where I got introduced. I think the first, I think my gateway band, because uh, you could call it, would be Fugazi. This nice. the first one where someone, someone let, let me borrow like a cassette of. Uh, God, the track or what, what, what would it have been? I can't even, I don't even know. Was it a repeater? No, it was before repeater. Something. It was, it was definitely Fugazi. And then from there, it was just kind of the world. It's like everything just changed at that point. It was the introduction to, um, I guess you could say, independently released music or DIY, whatever you want to call it. Just bands who were not on 
MTV and the radio. And uh, from there, I just kind of grew and and then became more aware, started going to shows um, through these people. So there was like some were older, some were my age and had older brothers and sisters. So I just kind of latched onto that and, and started learning about stuff and then kind of learned more about kind of what was going on in the actual San Diego scene. Because at the time, it was uh, kind of, yeah, we had like Gravity Records was going and then later 3-1-G. And uh, so there was kind of got introduced to all the whole gravity scene with uh, bands like uh, Antioch Era and Klickatetic Atawi, stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think. It what were just, some of the first shows it, that you went to see? Uh, oh, Swing Kids. That was definitely an early nice. one. Nice. Um, and, and yeah, and toward the end of high school, I kind of became more aware of like what was going on elsewhere in the world as in, you know, like what was going on in Santa Barbara or Goleta and like ebullition records and stuff like that. Less, didn't really know much of uh, the East coast stuff, but, um, uh, those are like my earliest show memories are definitely that, um, there would definitely be some straight edge hardcore stuff. Um, uh, like, uh, unbroken. What else? And then toward the end of high school, like, uh, that would have been the like, kind of 96, when bands like uh, Locust, which were all kind of like the same people, <laughs> um, started like kind of like learning what that was, all, or going to those shows as well, and and everything really centered around a place called the Che Cafe in San Diego. That was where a lot of like punk, post-punk, hardcore, um, and I guess emo as well as uh, shows were going down. Just basically the the younger kids and and what they're doing. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. <laughs> No, I, I think, I mean, it is funny that the everyone that sort of has been on this has all kind of said, yeah, it was like punk, and there was hardcore kids, and there was indie kids, and emo, it all kind of played in the same pool, and I feel like, Ed, you know, it might be the same thing with LA, I just feel like everyone kind of played together back then in the same sandbox. Yeah, yeah I mean, and, and being, exactly sorry, right you can go. Oh, no, no, I was just saying that there, there wasn't really a delineation of like, you know, this guy, uh, I'm a hardcore kid. Uh, you know, you'd find hardcore kids going to, you know, certain, sh- you know, it wasn't exclusive. I felt like it just sort of melded, you know, um, a lot of the times. And you could, you could, you can go to a hardcore show or go to any, you know, it didn't really matter, you know, as much. Yeah. Yeah. Like definitely like uh, at, when I was in high school, at least like the most, the word, the terms we were using at the time were hardcore and punk more. I think it wasn't really, and I'd been introduced to the word emo at some point, but it was it didn't u- get used more until I think I got to LA, until I moved to LA mm-hmm. um, when I was 18. And it was it was more widely used. But when I was living in San Diego, I was aware of stuff like the Huntington Beach Library, where a lot of shows happened. And I knew there was a place called the Jabberjaw in LA, where shows happened. And I was, I was somewhat aware, and this was all through... <laughs> It wasn't through the internet. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> but uh, somehow, I guess fans. I guess it was all zines and who knows what. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, people have talked about on this podcast as well, where it was you bought a CD at the show and you looked at who they thanked, and that's how you knew what other bands to check out, um, what other you know zines, all the very distros and all those you know uh, all those things you kind of would f- just look at the label and be like, well, I'm going to buy that other band because they're on the same label. Um, right. And sometimes, you know, 
uh, at the merch table, they would, you know, if it was a label, they would include a, a like some sort of catalog. Do you remember those? Like where, like I, I know Crank had had one of those where it, it would be at the merch table and you'd see the the other releases that they had that they were putting out, so you could read about and like two or three lines of what the what the release was about, and you can order through you know mail order and and, and check it out that way as well, you know. Yeah, and 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 Ed, was it you know some of the similar sort of things growing up in LA? Um, yeah. The punk, hardcore, uh, yeah, yeah. everything. A tad. I mean, I I was uh, you know to be honest, I was, I was I was a little late to the game. Like in, in, in you know in high school, I went, also went to an all boys high school, um, where this you know was a Catholic school, and you know things uh, you know towards the end of like my senior year that were popular were um, you know bands like <laughs> like Rage Against the Machine or. You know any of those bands like Nirvana obviously was a huge band, so I was I was really into that um, and kind of exposed to the to that and and you know of course you know we had you know friends that were in bands that uh, were playing different types of music, but it wasn't didn't all come together until uh, you know I went to to LMU and uh, you know met friends and, and became friends with people that worked at KXLU. You know what um, was that? What was the catalyst of this station? I mean, it just, I've heard so many <laughs> different stories about this, and it's in. I mean, I, I was doing college radio and met a lot of friends and got into music and um, you know found about records and stuff. But you know, I just it's such an interesting uh, thing to hear that station come up so many times um, from people and connecting there. Yeah, it's it's uh, I don't you know it's it does, I mean that's where I met Ian you know uh, we we met right Ian like I, I think it was was it at KXL yeah. the station or was it like so it was and then and then we ended up hanging out like outside of this you know station that like somebody who's who, was it with Pedro I can't remember now like it just became that and you know our click and then it was like Chris Gunst you know you know was and then Jimmy Tamborello was you know hanging out and that was that was the click and. It, you know, and everybody went on to do their respective like bands after college and during college. But it was just it was just that kind of thing. It was just people, you know, kids that wanted to discover music, um, play music that you know the other college kids didn't know about. You know, so I think that's why KXLU was so successful. That you know, underneath it was just like little click. Uh, you know, amidst this Catholic school. And you know the you know, the typical college student didn't know like you know who the swing kids were you know it's just it was just exciting you know to to kind of be part of you know it's a it was a click and it was a you know a hangout you know yeah I think the I had a similar experience and I think it kind of goes to what you guys are saying is college station I was at there were high school kids that would listen to the, my show, my hardcore show, and I would tell them about these new bands and we would go to the shows together. I would give them rides, you know, to these shows and and kind of getting them into the scene and you felt that you were helping these bands, you were connecting them personally um, and, you know, you, you felt like you had a, such a connection to these bands and were there any bands that you guys connected on that you were like, oh, you like this band? Oh, you like this band? And then... You, you know, started to chat because I want to find out when you guys slowed down because we're all talking about punk, hardcore, but when did you guys slow down and start writing, you know, that kind of stuff? <laughs> I don't know what band, you know, do you remember what band it was? We went to a couple, we went to so many shows, but I I do remember one show, though. And it was that like, when we first when we originally when we first met, like we went out to a show. Yeah. Like me, you, yeah. Pedro. Yeah. Man, was it, it could have been so many. No, Boys Life was a little bit out. It was at the Jabberjaw in Boys Life, and I remember like 
like going and you know we, we hung out with boys life afterwards it was like me you uh, jen and you know god you could have been anything like going like cars get crushed or something <sighs> oh, yeah. oh oh, oh. Yeah. wait 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 satisfact no i don't god it's uh yeah i'm not quite sure but we did at some point when we started hanging out would go go to uh the Alligator Lounge. Was a, the Alligator Lounge was another venue that was close to to LMU that w- was, you know, hosting a bunch of really cool shows. You know, um, I think Crimson Curse played that, didn't they? They played. There was some crazy show there that, uh, and I can't remember one. In particular. We totally should have done this podcast like ten years ago, and you guys would have remembered. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. We should have made a time capsule of all the flyers yeah. and shows and then buried it and then opened it. I already it up forgot. Wait, what was the what was the what was the original question? <laughs> the question was like what bands cuz I, I, I you know people that I've met in my life it always is, "Oh, um where are you from and what bands are you into?" You know, what were what was that what was that conversation? Cuz you said, you know, I mean, Pedro, you guys have mentioned Pedro a few times. He was also in Sunday's Best, mm-hmm. went on to be in Jealous Sound. Um, what was, you know, when you guys were all kind of connecting and turning into a clique, was it, you know, you guys were all into, um, you know, Drive Like Jehu, or was it some yeah. band that just kind of connected? Yeah. I think Jehu was one, actually one of the bands. Now, now it's coming together. Because <laughs> Jehu was also some I'll, I'll say this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, the San Diego connection by far was the one that kind of brought us together, because Pedro's from San Diego, you know, uh, you know my uh, relative in San Diego, so that was that thing. And then yeah, the Jehu thing, actually, you know, um, Pedro, you know, being into that as well. And, you know, Ian mentioning that when he first met you, that you were from San Diego, we're like, Oh, cool. You know? Um, yeah. And you have to, you have to, there's a, too, you know, too. Well, one thing I do remember. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we're talking <laughs> over <Yes>. each other. <laughs> um, one thing I do actually remember was, a. Uh, for me, at least, like, I, I left San Diego listening to a lot of really, like, harder stuff, and it was actually these guys, and by these guys, I mean Ed and Pedro, that kind of introduced me. It was it was a cross between them and Kicks that you that, at least for me, introduced me more into, um, it, I, I don't know, maybe this would begin the, the, the start of the mellow out or something, but they introduced me to other, I guess you could say, like, indie rock bands, like bands like Supertronk, but then they also introduced me to stuff like Seam, because I, I didn't know about stuff like uh, Seam or um, uh, what's your, God, all the bands, that, I can't remember their names anymore. Uh, <laughs> but that was one huge one that we all kind of, I remember, bonded over them playing for me, and I was like, well, what is this? I've never heard this before. This This, this hasn't come across, and so it was, it, was, it was kind of stuff like that, and then, but then by working at KXLU, it became, it, it, it's just you. It was one of the things where I walked in, and like, you know, when you're 18, you've never seen a wall full of CDs. Um, like I owned a lot of CDs, I think maybe then, but it was all like punk and old bad 90s records. And so it was the first time you kind of see all these records, vinyl and CDs alike. So then you, it just kind of opens your eyes and start listening as much as you can and going down stuff and getting recommendations from others. And, and it was like, a, it was this great venue to kind of, to learn from each other, to share and to discover together. And these guys, um, me being the youngest at the time, 
or just like kind of played a lot of stuff for me, everything from Seam to Super Chunk to Arches of Loaf to um, Red House Painters or something. And Oh, God, uh, and Guided by Voices was another band that I think that was that kind of like yeah. opened it up for us as well. That's a that's yeah. a fucking awesome band. Um, yeah. I totally see how you guys, I, I can see it now. You can hear it. You can see the bands that you're referencing. Like it's it's that time frame and it was slower, but you were into hardcore, but you wanted to make it melodic. Um, yeah. And that seems, you know, where, um, and this is kind of plays into obviously going into the EP and I want to talk about how you guys kind of got together and formed, but the, the Crank bio, um, you know, kind of makes fun of emo, you know, I don't know who this quote was from, but, you know, Sunny Day Real Estate meets Radiohead to get the folks from Hot Topic to buy it. Um, I thought that was such a funny (laughs) quote because then that was completely ridiculous to say that. um, And Hot Topic was hot then. And, you know, were you guys already, you know, angry at the scene when that EP came out or what was the... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think when that EP came out, I think... uh... Uh, we, we, you know, we, I think we were starting to become a little bit cynical, uh, uh, you know, of, and probably could see, you know, obviously the, I don't know, I want to say the commercialization of, you know, whatever was happening, you start seeing it, you know, um, um, and I guess we were never really took ourselves too, too seriously. So, you know, that bio was probably a result of that, <laughs> trying to just, you know, a big, you know, middle finger and whatever. It's totally <laughs> that, like. It's totally that freshman year, like, screw you, we're cool, you know? Um, So I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, You know, from that, you know, you guys being like that, like, the records, this is the EP, The Where You Are Now. Um, You know, it's very dissonant. I heard a lot of Jehu. Um, You know, how was that recorded? Um, Did you guys, you know, was it, you know, no money and... Um, you know, in Ed, you were an intern at Crank, correct? Was yeah, that that's right? Is is yeah. that how that all came about? Did you just pass off the record and then you guys were good to go? Yeah, it was pretty much. Yeah, I was. I, I think, and I, I stand to this. I think I was Crank's first intern. You know, um, that is a, massive cred. That is yeah. I was. I answered the uh, <laughs> student job posting that I found at LMU, and uh, it was at, I was working out of Jeff Matlow's apartment, and uh, basically volunteered my time for for seven inches and and records you know was paul um, there at the time uh, paul wasn't paul wasn't yet this was uh, you know still paul didn't come into play until they actually moved into an office you know ah. um out in santa monica um but yeah no that's uh that's how it kind of happened um you know i'd always told him that uh you know i was playing music and uh i guess when it started getting serious, we were able to to actually record, and, and part of the recording process was uh, was due to um, it, was, it was Tom Ackerman, right? We we who we met actually, Ian, you met through the record through recording arts, right? Was that the first yeah, time and uh, I think in uh, it was it was funny. It was in like uh, ninety, I think it was ninety seven. Yeah, it was it was mm-hmm. like uh, it was a uh, second semester of my freshman year, and um, and I remember it was uh, how did we meet Tom? Oh. Yeah, 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 Tamborello. Jimmy, I was talking to Jimmy one day, and he was like, he's like, hey, have you seen Skip Loader guy? I'm like, who? He's like, Skip Loader, the lead singer Skip Loader goes 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 here now. I'm like, really? I'm like that's, that's kind of random. I like, 
And then and then he we would go and grab the record out of the uh, out of the stacks at the record at the station. It's like yeah, it's, and then he points him out. It's like this guy Tom. He 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 goes to school here. I ran into him and I recognized him. It still blows me away that Jimmy would know the face of you know somebody. Uh, well, I guess it was a smaller scene at the time. Anyway, so days later, maybe it was weeks later, I then meet him too, run into him because it's such a small school, and we quickly become friends, and he quickly starts. Um, getting involved with the radio station as well, and that's how we all got introduced to him. But he was going to school for uh, recording arts, which um, is what I was there for. And he was already, even though enrolled as like I don't know what he was, a second year student or whatever, he already had was building a studio um, in his rehearsal space. And once we started talking and that we had a band, it just from there went. It's like, hey, if you never need a place to record. I'd love to record you guys because he was trying to build up, you know, he was trying to build up his chops. I think he had only recorded himself at the time. So he's bringing on clients, I guess, so to speak. And we were probably one of his first bands he recorded other than uh, his own projects. So recording came fairly easy and we paid him and he recorded, we did a, he recorded our first seven inch before he even joined the band. And then, uh, and then after that, he then, joined uh when we had a departing member again we're all in college so this is uh people this we weren't like serious serious i guess you could say it was like something we're doing um but uh we weren't like let's put out records and we were just like this was the thing we really like to do you know it was our outlet and what we did together um but we're still trying to finish school i guess you could say and uh he, yeah. So a, a member was it Mike? Mike, right? Mike D'Onofrio, Mike, who we never Mike really talk about, was an original member of Sunday's Best, and he graduated and moved to um, the Bay Area. So then it was at that point that Tom then slotted in, and um, I was playing drums at the time, and I moved to guitar, and then he came in his drums, and then we recorded the Where You Are Now. EP somewhere in I would put that at like end of 97 into 98 because it was released in 99 so I think we were already recording it before you played it to crank right <laughs> uh, yeah 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 exa- exactly yeah <laughs> and uh that's and, th- and then they heard it and then they were like well what if we you know what if we put it out and uh you know I know it didn't it cost next to nothing I know that it's probably probably five hundred dollars total I think yeah, because we already had the recording done with Tom. And then it was one of those things where, like, we had paid him and he recorded, but then once he was part of the band, it was just part of a, you know, we recorded together and we were a band and we were part of one of his projects. So, it, like you said, it costed pretty much nothing. So we already had the recording. It was done. And so probably that probably helped, I would think, in, in terms of uh, putting a record out and that there was no production costs in terms of recording i think i don't know i don't want to speak for them it's been a long time <laughs> <laughs> no, no I marketing think that... dollars were spent i know that i'm kidding <laughs> the record was definitely sent to college radio for sure um i remember i remember getting it um <laughs> that's how i first heard you guys um i think one of my favorites off the album is truest you um really cool classic ending um really good songs on there if anyone on this podcast hasn't heard this it's obviously a little harder to get um physically but um you can find it digitally um you know early days of you guys had it out you put out the record 
you know, you're playing shows. Um, when did you think like, okay, let's keep going with this or wow, we, we, did you meet other bands that were, you know, that were the same and started to feel a community? What were sort of some of those things that had you guys say, Hey, we're doing all right. Yeah. I mean, we started playing shows and I, I think, you know, once we started, I, I think we, you know, do you know that the band Strictly Ballroom was another band that was mm-hmm. a KXLU band? Um, you know, it was Jimmy Tamborello and Chris Gunst, and um, and uh, I think we played with them, right? And we, we went to go see them. I felt like they they had it going on before us, um, and I think that by virtue of seeing the success, or I guess successes that they've had in playing, and, and just made us wanted to 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 play more, you know, and play out and started meeting kids and, and people's, you know, seeing people's reactions and, you know, purchasing the, the EP, you know, made us want to, you know, to go out and uh, maybe get out of LA and, um, you know, call, call some people and play some house shows. You know? Notice you said call. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I no. said call. Yeah. <laughs> call is exactly what it was. It was call. The promoter or the booker, you know, or whoever was booking it, if it's a, you know, some, I'm, you know, playing a kid's house, remember that in Vegas with Strictly Ballroom, it was, it was a, virtually, it was a kid's house, you know, and playing in front of like 10, 10 people, you know, and. I think we have to repeat that again. We have to repeat that. Remember, kids, people had to call shows. You had to, you had to trust them. There was no, you didn't hide behind your email. You didn't hide behind your Facebook page. You actually had to speak to somebody and book a show. I think it was a lot harder. <laughs> oh, definitely. Or it wasn't a booking agent approaching you and asking, "Hey, you should uh, sign with me." It was like, I mean, there were booking agents by the end, but I think at that time, what Ed's talking about, like we didn't even know that the existence of booking agents in general. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, or, yeah, like that didn't apply to what we were doing. So. And then you guys were doing a bunch of, you know, compilations, and I feel like that was such another way back then to have people hear about you. I mean, the Don't Forget to Breathe comp from Crank was huge. I think the holiday matinee comps were huge. What were, you know, did, was that, was that a conscious thing where let's do a seven inch with this per, you know, band or was it, it just kind of came about and that's how it happened. Oh, I, I mean, I know it's, it's a, I, I know it's a long winded question, but I just think the, the compilation stuff, like did, were you guys getting approached? Were you kind of actively searching them out? Well, we, we already had the, obviously we had the relationship with crank. Obviously we're, on, on there, and um, holiday matinee came about because of our relationship with um, uh, Dave Brown, right, Ed? Yeah, that's right. And uh, and the, but that came a lot later. Did he do press for us? Here's a, here's another question mark. Because uh, holiday matinee was originally you know a PR company, and then they put out records, and then it evolved into a lot of different things. But at that time, it was strictly a, a independent PR company. Which we used, but I, I, I do not know when. <laughs> I do not know which record. If it was Crank Days or if it was Polyvinyl Days, um, maybe Ed remembers. Um, that's how we got associated with that. But um, one thing I can't say is that you know nowadays no one's knocking like from little one's perspective. I would say like no one's knocking saying, hey, let's do a compilation or do you want to do a compilation? If you do a compilation, you're just kind of like, well, what is it? Is it a tribute? What is it? But back then it was like. It was like compilation. It was like, man, we would give our like, you know, pinkies to be on a compilation by any of the people you just mentioned and more because 
it was at that time that was kind of you know you were kind of writing if you were trying to make an you were trying to like spread you know you were kind of writing the coattails of other people who were on there of just like being part of something mm-hmm. one being part of something bigger than you you are and as well as um just trying to spread spread your name, whereas now I don't know. It's like do people still make compilations. If they do, I don't really follow it. But back then, I think it meant a lot more than it did than it does now. Um, not yeah, that soundtracks, I guess. Yeah, that that that's what I was kind of getting at. That you you know you guys being associated, and it was sort of the oh wait, I saw him on that flyer. I saw him on the compilation. And I saw them. I heard them on the radio. And now I feel like that kind of compilation thing is gone. And I think there's a lot of scenes that had the compilation CD. But I just thought this this era, you really did find out about bands that way, or hurt at least heard them um, for the first time. Um, and I think for you guys to be involved in those, it was such a huge way to have people hear you. Yeah, I mean, you, you remember the emo diaries. I was on an emo diaries. Yeah, yeah. And those, I mean, those were like, you know, like when you were talking to other bands, they're like, oh yeah, we're on emo diaries number two. You know, like, you know, it 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 was heard. You know, like people had it. It was it was part of the it was part of the culture. You know, mm-hmm. it was the, your calling card. And and you know, it was exactly right. It's like you wanted to be on there. Um, by virtue of like you knew that this band that you liked was on there. You know, and uh, it would you know maybe make your band look a little bit better you know <laughs> yeah and i think before we get into the you know i think the 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 polyvinyl stuff you know touring um such a different thing back then and um what was sort of some of the differences that you guys saw in, in some of the bands that you were starting to kind of get relationship with and did the touring really start and the the polyvinyl days or was it you know in between those two records uh, it was, I think it was in between those two records. Um, you know, this is where the whole DIY thing comes into play because uh, you know one of the one of the things you know being in college and you know being at the time also was was that you know we we had to call and contact people and then we just got in the van. You know, Tom would say, "Hey, we I got us like twenty I got us twenty gigs." You know, like you know like throughout the country. So it it was in between the it was in between the crank. Uh, I think our first national tour was in between the crank thing and, and the polyvalent, right? And yeah, yeah, because we did, um, we, we, we kind of scheduled it around, uh, crank was doing, I don't know if it was his first or not, but crank was doing a CMJ show. Yeah. And like, with, um, you know, whatever that, it was with another uh, label. Yeah, it was, it was crank and, uh, revolution, uh, right. Revolution. I said Revolution. Revelation Records. I'm gonna Revelation get snapped for saying that. Yeah, Our star. It was Revelation. It was it was a crank and a Revelation showcase at CMJ in year I don't know 99 maybe it was 2000, and uh, we built a tour. That was our first. Like we had already been getting active and and learning like I'd say like calling and we we were starting to do shows. I think we you know we would do weekend jobs. We would go to we would go to Phoenix for the weekend or we would go to San Francisco for the weekend or we would go to Santa Cruz for the weekend. But it was, uh, it was around the CMJ thing that we, we first kind of shaped our first actual, uh, tour, national tour, I guess you could say, because it was all the way to the East coast and back. And, and, uh, we did it in, uh, <laughs> that was a, that was a suburban, right? We didn't even have a van. Did it in the we, suburban. In a, wow. We did it. We did it in our drummer's suburban. Uh, 
It was not a fancy Suburban. It was a Suburban. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so that was our, yeah, and that was our first kind of national and heading out east um, farther than, say, Arizona. And uh, I remember, I remember, like, going to New York for my first time. It was, like, in the middle of the night. We went straight into CMJ, and we went to, like, a jade tree showcase or something and watched some. I don't know. It's, it's a little blurry, but um, uh, I forgot the were point you, I was trying to make. Touring. No, were, yes. along that tour, like, the, were you were you playing with certain bands that, like, I know you guys had mentioned, you know, like Raina Maria and, and Acrobat Down and Paris, Texas. Was that along the way, or were those tours, like, later? Like, who were there, when you were playing those shows, were people you know, into it? Were there other scenes that you were kind of seeing that bands, opening bands were maybe playing the same way or, you know, cause um, it was like your first time across. And I think this is another thing that happened more back then than it does now. There's more kind of like label, um, inter label band relations, <laughs> I guess you could say where like mm-hmm. we played a bunch of shows with cursive and we played a bunch of shows with Acrobat. And that was definitely during the, uh, that was during the crank, Crank days. That's how we got introduced and and um, hooked up with a lot of those shows, um, whether it be local or maybe like one city away. We would hop on other people's tours. Um, so we were, yeah. So we played. We definitely played with Cursive, right, Ed? Yeah, we did. Um, yeah, because I remember in Cash at Tim and all that, and, and then we and also. Uh, like you said, uh, Acrobat Down, who did a seven-inch on Crank, and we did a whole, we did a, we did a show. I think we did a couple shows with them, like maybe LA and San Diego. That was when we first met them. Yeah, and we became went, friends we did, yeah, like long first, after. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and then at that actual showcase, it was us and I think Aerotype Eleven, and then um, a handful of Revelation bands. Wait, was That's that right. at the bank? Right? It was, might have been. I can't uh, remember. It was the venue. I think was the bank. Um, did it was Aerotype in. Uh, I was it was in Greenwich Village. I know that. Yeah, that's exactly what it was because they headlined, correct? Yeah, I so, believe so. It was because yeah. uh, yeah, the, the, the yeah, showcase was yeah. was Crank Records, some records, and Revolution. I think. I have that. I have exactly. that poster of that show. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And I do remember partying it up with uh, with uh, Tim Kasher and, and uh, wasn't it Connor Oberst? Was that that show? Showcase? Wow! Look at that! Look at that! Drop. Yeah, that was a little partying action going on. Jeez, dude, you just dropped was, some uh, major knowledge. I just right dropped there. some names. <laughs> Go pick them up! Damn it! Yeah, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, that showcase was amazing. That was definitely you know. A, Great, great bands, and I'll have to uh, I'll upload the photo um, of that flyer um, so people can see it. But uh, great, great bands on that tour, and yeah, I mean, it, just you guys are all kind of saying these bands and connecting and uh, meeting through the label stuff. I think that's the thing I kind of want to get across um, that you guys connected through music and through these other bands, and you were sort of families kind of trying to make it through, and it was a Yes, there was competition. Yes, there was jealousy and egos, but I still feel like there was a togetherness that, well, we have to figure out somehow how to do this. Um, yeah, I, I think agree. it's like it's funny because you say it's like I think nowadays you you come across a lot of bands that 
see other bands as like competition. And I think back then there was more of a sense of community. I'm totally talking shit on bands of today, I think. But um, there was at that time period, at least, there was more the sense of community, and you're you're in it together, and you're going through struggles together. So, like on those tours, I remember specifically, I think. Yeah, with Acrobat Down, we like we would stay. We did a few shows together, and I just remember this one now. We would stay at a. <laughs> it wasn't just like it wasn't always kids' uh, um, living room floors, which is always the thing. So yeah, I slept on living room floors. I've toured, but it was also we were sleeping in a KOA, is like outside in the grass, or I would sleep on top of the car so animals wouldn't get to me if there were animals, and like it, it was a, it was a way different time. And we would do this together, like both bands at a KOA, hanging out sleeping outside and it was, it was definitely this this more of this feeling of like we're in this together you know how do we stay afloat and and uh you know continue to play music and do this thing we enjoy but you know make it work because all at that time you know nobody's we're not you weren't making any 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 money we're like it's like we're at, during the crank days we're some of us uh we're still students so we're trying to you know balance of that with with playing in a band and it's it's like nobody it's it's rough it's it's tough we would we would survive we would go out on tour and we would completely depend on how much merch we sold to determine if we actually made it to the next city you know i think if it came to it someone would do something <laughs> or or ask for something but uh luckily it never came to that we always managed to get from city to city but it was definitely it's definitely a harder time um, and less of a safety net, I would say, when you're a bunch of kids. Like, I'm sure someone at some point, if we broke down, which we only did a couple times, would have to call in a favor somewhere. But luckily, we never did it. We managed to to live off the uh, the fat of the land. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I was just gonna, was say, gonna say too. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry. Yeah, Ed, go. No, Ed, go. Oh no, I was just gonna I was just gonna say that. Um, the one thing that I do take away from, from the tours and like you said, like the, you know, we're in it together is that, you know, there was a lot of the times where we would play these random shows in random cities with the random, you know, band of that was similar to us, you know, in the same genre. Um, and, and we would make a connection there, you know, and if we liked them, we would exchange CDs and then we'd keep in touch, you know? And I think that's probably one of the big differences today. I mean, I'm sure it still happens, but um, you sort of took care of your own. You know, next time they would call you and say, hey, we're going to be in town, you know, would love to see you, that kind of stuff. That I think there was a lot of that going around back in the days um, where you really wanted to help other people, other bands out, um, and, uh, you know, to make sure that they, they do well as well as, uh, you know, just do you know? Just pay it forward, sort of. Yeah, you know? I, I think I, I think that plays into something I've been thinking about a lot about. You know, the yes, this site talks about the old days were all washed up. Everything was cool back in the mid '90s versus now. But there is a element of the connection and the 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 phone and seeing somebody and connecting that way. And when you there wasn't you know yes, the internet's great. Yes, texting and phones and stuff. I just remember you would go to see a band and you would have to hang out with them and you would hang out with them after and there was a, a connection more than y you and I just emailed a couple times um, and I think that was something that yeah you got the CD and you stayed in touch and you called and they hung out and it wasn't a oh yeah email me and you kind of email or you forget about it, it gets lost in your Gmail and then you're kind of done 
Um, right. And sometimes that that is even easier time to stay in touch with somebody. But I feel like it, 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 at that at that time there wasn't you didn't have the cell phone, you didn't have, you know, those sort of easy connections, you needed to make that effort. And I think that effort in turn made those relationships stronger because you had to work uh, harder. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We, we had no cell phones, but we had calling cards. Okay? Yes. So we had, those were, those were key. <laughs> um, I was going to bring up something too with, um, crank and I might have brought this up on another podcast, but since you interned there, maybe you answered the phone when I called in college, I called asking the connect, connect, uh, the correct pronunciation of the Gloria record or the Glory record. I wanted to know for the radio, my radio show, <laughs> and I don't know who I don't know who picked up the phone, but someone told me, and I was like, okay, thanks. Like they probably hung up the phone and started like some crazy kid just asked, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder was it a, was it a Frenchman that answered it? I don't even I remember. Be- I remember where I was standing. I remember where I was standing and how I asked it, and I remember getting an answer and hanging up. But that was it. <laughs> could have been me. It could have been you know. I, that could have been that could have been Paul. That could have been Paul. Fisher, yeah. Actually. Yeah. I don't know if Paul remembered if it was him or not because I asked him the same thing, and I don't think he remembered. I mean, who would remember that stupid thing except me? But anyway, yeah. I always I always laugh about <laughs> it. <laughs> the glory of record. Yes. <laughs> I needed to know. It was very important for me. <laughs> um, you couldn't do that. You couldn't do that now and call up a label and get no. somebody on the phone and ask them that you can do that. No, Impossible. there's no way. <laughs> um, I think you know, going from uh, you know, crank to polyvinyl um, and with you know, poised, poised to break, which I think was the break. Um, what were some of the differences and why you guys made the switch? And I mean, I, I thought it was a great, I thought it was a great move, um, being completely outside of it and just seeing the different label on your CD. Yeah, I think, I think we wanted to move on, and uh, you know, I think, uh, I think I had, I, I don't know how it went down, but I, I think some dialogue was made between us and 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 um, you know Matt over there at Polyvinyl and. Uh, you know, we just felt that it was there was a lot of bands on there that we liked. Um, you know, we liked yeah, that it rela- wasn't in L.A. You know, the relationship um, with Matt started with you, right, Ed? That you and him yeah, were on I think a. So. We're like we were talking. I can't remember how it all went down, but I, I know we developed a relationship beforehand, um, and then you know started talking about you know Sunday's best and you know that we were recording some new stuff and. And he was like was very interested in listening to it, and uh, you know, it just came very casually, and, and you know, I decided to put it out, and uh, you know, we we were happy to be on a label that was you know starting to be the hub of that scene, you know, out in the I guess it would be the Midwest, right? I mean, that whole Chicago, Madison, mm-hmm. you know, area thing happening was exciting, you know, like you started, you know, it, it was good to be part of it. So we were really excited to, to jump, to jump to, you know, jump ship, I guess, you know? Yeah. And then and we're all, we were all Braid fans, of course. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it just, it seemed like such a great fit. And if you guys were into, in, into the bands, it totally makes sense. Now at that time, obviously I'm trying to remember when you guys were all done school and stuff, were you guys completely done school and just like, all right, we're going to do this. Or were you, you know, kind of still having jobs and still doing stuff? I think uh, I was the last one in school. Yeah, I um, at least when um, I was finishing. Yeah, I was in my fourth year. 
Um, it was embarrassing, but I wasn't done yet. <laughs> so I had another uh, semester worth of, of credits to fulfill. So what I did was I just kind of pushed it off. Um, and uh, and I remember we went kind of full throttle on poised to break, and then as well as touring after that. And then after a while, I then went back, finished up a lot one last semester, and it was done. But um, congratulations. Hey, thank you. And, <laughs> and uh, but uh, yeah, after years of a, uh, hey, I'm going to leave for this month to go on this tour with my band. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a, I was, I was, I'm just going to write it off as I was, I was young and, and uh, I don't know. That's, that's anyway. totally fine. That's totally fine. You're, you're fine it's, with me. It's, uh, yeah. It's like, uh, it's the worst getting yelled at by a professor of like why you should not be doing this and and just like walking away like you know what I'm gonna go and I'll suffer whatever you know I'm gonna be back here in a few weeks and you know if I'm still in the class I'm still in the class and it's funny that that conversation that conversation was like a, how many times that conversation happened and everything ended up working out in the end but um yeah I was the last one uh, I think when we made the transition to to uh, polyvinyl. And then um, I think uh, I can't believe how hard it was to find the hardest part video. Um, you know, there's <laughs> no no YouTube video back then. I mean, where did you see no. it? I I didn't see it up until about three weeks ago, so I don't really know where it's been. Um, what did you guys do that? And uh, you know, I mean, that had to have been fun. Look. Oh yeah, Ian. It was uh, one of Ian's contacts and friends that decided that uh, you know. He wanted to shoot a video yeah. in, in downtown. Yeah. Yeah, it was actually um, some film film major friends of mine, um, and then we ended up working together uh, after school. We were both working as video, excuse me, video game testers um, at uh, Activision, and then I was doing Sunday's Best, and we were talking about we wanted to. They wanted to expand their um, their developing their kind of demo reel, their uh, music video directors. And so they offered to do a, a video for us for free. <laughs> and we're like, great. And so we just kind of figured out what we can get away with in terms of, you know, zero budget, whatever money they could put into it and we could put into it. And we ended up getting an okay to shoot on the rooftop of our practice space at the time. And uh, obviously it, was, it wasn't a very, you know, it wasn't a super elaborate video. It was uh, black and white. And they would film on this rooftop and add in effects. Um, but uh, yeah, so we did that on a zero budget, not even a shoestring budget. It was a, a bunch of people. It was pretty much all volunteer and them developing the reel. Um, if, if any money was put into it, it was into feeding the uh, the small crew. And then um, and then where did it air? I think it aired on what, what was that? The college network at the time, CMT, CN, CM. Yeah, I can't remember something. something like that, right? Yeah, and then at that time, also submitted to things like MTV2, which I'm sure never was played, and and so it was played on the college music network channel. I don't recall the acronym, but uh, I think that was it. And then you know, existed on the internet. You're able to find it. Was it on YouTube or something? Or yeah, I found it on YouTube. Some guy posted it. Um... Aha. I don't know. Like, Lives on. Yeah, I was like, wow, look at this. Um, uh, and I think, I mean, 
I that okay, if if we could talk about the music, you know, that is one of your best songs. Um, I just think it it really, you know, if I tell someone about you know Sunday's best, that's usually the first song that I play them, um, just to kind of give them the you know it's dissonant, it's catchy, there's it's melodic, so um, I think that's a great song on the record. Hey, cool. Um, and then the other song I dig on it is Congratulations, because it's so late 90s to have a hidden track. Um, <laughs> so let me just give everybody a heads up. The last track is 16 minutes, and there's like a five or six, I don't even remember, six minute part, and then there's all this silence. So then when you're listening to the CD, you're like, oh man, I wasn't paying attention. I'm doing my homework with my TI-83. And then bang, the end of the song hits. Um Whose idea was it to jam out at the end? And um, congrats on keeping the cliche of the late 90s hidden track. Oh, man. I think that was one of our uh, inebriated ideas, you know? Um, I, I do remember that. Uh, and there was, a lot of, there was a lot of late night kind of, I don't know, tomfoolery, I guess you can say, that, that came up. I, I definitely think that was a pager idea, by the way. Okay, Pedro's, Pedro's responsible. Got it. Yeah, I think so. That's such a, you're right, it's such a late 90s thing to do. Dude, it'd be so cool if we put this track at the end, man, you know. And then, and then, and then we gotta have some vocals from some crazy horror movie, you know, that's the other yeah. one that everyone did. Yeah, mm-hmm, <laughs> a little sound, little soundscape going on, I yeah. think the hardcore bands did that more, the, like, indie emo bands did the hidden track, or the silence. Um, <laughs> God, I'm getting flashbacks at Jinkos already. Just thinking about that stuff. <laughs> um, from the you know the the tours on that record, the crowds, the feelings. Were you starting to get? Wow, people are getting this. People are starting to connect. You're making more friends. Um, you know, any other kind of thoughts that you guys can remember from that that record's like cycle? Yeah, I, I think you know the reaction on the uh, the message boards were pretty well. You know, pretty. Pretty good. Remember those little chat thing? And those oh little yeah. And sometimes I'd monitor it and see, you know. <laughs> um, uh, but no, it, I think that that record in particular, I think by being on Polyvinyl, we we reached a, a you know a bigger audience, um, and we started to see you know a couple fans fans out on the show, you know, this on tour that knew the songs, you know. You, then, you know, you start being surprised that, oh, you know, I think you know this song, you know, and, you know, I think that was like a really good stepping stone in, in, in sort of our, you know, development as a band. I think um, we finally kind of decided what kind of sound we wanted to do um, and we're like, you know, becoming comfortable playing our instruments and becoming comfortable with, you know, what we were doing, you know. So with that, it's, you know, I thought that was a, it's a really, you know, represented that, you know. Ian, did you feel the same way about it? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's weird because it was uh, I, I'm I'm trying to like I'm I'm like sitting here trying to remember basically uh, this whole time. It was just like, what was I? What was I? What were we thinking back then? What was the impetus? Like, what what was the whole? What was the whole idea behind everything? But yeah, at, at that time we were we were. Like like I said, we're just, we're learning to we're learning to write songs, and it was just the next step. Was, this was our first, you know, I guess you could say, attempt at a full length 
at a full-length record, which was like a huge, I think, achievement for us. And the fact that we got to hop onto another label, um, an, esta- or, uh, an established label, was was a huge was was kind of a huge deal. And it's like we're, we're like, I think I remember at the time just being, you know, like we're we're ex- that we're extremely lucky. Um, I'm sorry, you mentioned uh, what was the response around it right on the road or something is that yeah, we said just, you know with were kids coming up and saying yeah oh my it, god you guys are fucking great and i mean you can i mean more of like hey i have all your records or i have all your seven inches just you know the, that kind of fan people that yeah i mean it, it's always on the road it's it's kind of hit or miss you know you always have those you at that time i feel you have those shows where it's like you're going to play to 10 people and then you have those other shows out of nowhere where there's you know a a button and you're like, how did that happen? I don't really understand this, but it's, and it's super cool because at that time, you know, you're not sure what your reach is. You're, you're, you're like maybe getting some kind of like sales feedback and you can kind of like figure out numbers, but yeah, uh, the response was definitely, was definitely, um, trying to, trying to remember it it was, I think it was more of of like wow this was like a a full um, put together again again it was our first one full length so it, it was just kind of had this whole um, it, it it garnered better response and that it was it was a full length it was was this full thought out thing and I remember it was actually mixed by um, uh, it was mixed by Tony right Ed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, so we we recorded it ourselves, but then it was mixed by someone else. And this was the first time, like our the EP was mixed by Tom, and and uh, and us, you know, all sitting around there. And this was the first time it was mixed by a completely different entity. So it was the first time we got to hear someone's complete, like you know, almost another person's take on your music, which is a whole other story of that whole thing of working with producers and mixers. And so, at that point, I think it really definitely became something a little, like, bigger, you know, something bigger than ourselves, because, like, there's another person who got their hands in it, and then, and and the response, I can't, re- I, honestly, I can't remember, there was, like, I just remember from talking to friends, and there was a lot, but definitely, it had a broader, it had definitely a, a, a more of a reach than, than the prior, and, um, and yeah, it was, a, it was, from what I remember, it was positive, but uh, it's sad. I can't. I can't fully remember like personal accounts of like you know songs and stuff. Maybe Californian, but the the, the record after that. But for Poison Break, it's just so far off now. Um, <laughs> so that's yeah. the thing. Sorry. We, we was... no, it's totally fine. We just should have done this six years ago. That's I don't know what we were doing. <laughs> um, that's something. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to remember that later. We'll have to. I'm gonna have to find bands now that are about to be washed up, and then I can interview them, and then later I can air it. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Um, uh, I, you know, definitely want to get into the the Californian and, and just kind of talk about that record and um, kind of you guys putting that record together. This is a truly sweet, poppy record. It feels clean. Um, you guys had a shitload of sinks um, for this record. Um, someone, someone put in some calls. Um, you know, you guys seem to have more memories of that time frame, and um, you know, anything from that era that you guys 
were super into were things that, you know, kind of, I mean, it ended after this record. Um, kind of how did that all come about? That's like eight yeah. questions in one, but. Yeah. The, the Well, the Californian was, um, you know, we, we, you know, we had toured with, you know, Poise to, Poise to Break and we did that whole thing. And, you know, we had, we had some, we had some kind of, you know, a little bit of band troubles and whatnot just internally. And, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think, you know, Pedro, Pedro had left. Um, and at that point we were kind of trying to figure out what, where we we're going to do. So there was definitely like a period of time that, um, that we were just not really active, you know, and, um, it started, you know, I started like kind of like needling around the guitar because prior to that I was playing bass, uh, in the band. And so when Pedro decided to, to leave the band, you know, I, I said, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to assume the duty of playing guitar. So, um, you know, I took the time to learn the songs and the old songs and started fiddling around the guitar and, and just got really into, I don't know, we're starting to write music, you know? Um, and the California kind of came about with that. I mean, I'd kind of come up, I mean, obviously the, the songs were, were all written collectively, but I would come in with like, you know, some chord changes and like, a, a you know, a melody and we would kind of work at it. And I think we were just, it, it sort of, you know, the writing process kind of came quick. And I mean, it, it, it started going really quickly. I think once we started, you know, jamming out in the space, um, and at that time also just the backstory, I think we started listening, we started going outside of what we were listening to. Like, obviously we would, we love you know, listening to the braids of the world and all that, but suddenly there was this whole new, I started like liking or listening to other bands, like, you know, from, from Europe or the UK and, you know, Ian and I were like, started getting like really geeky about Travis, you know? Oh, Travis um, is great. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, Beach Boys. Like, wow. Yeah, Beach Boys. You know, just revisiting old music and the new music that was kind of current, um, that was not in our scene, and um, you know, obviously diving into Wilco and 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 all that, and I think it, that really like shaped the record. It was our like interpretation or of our like of what was going on in our heads, you know, at the time. Sonically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I mean, it's it's such a common theme with so many of the bands that they sort of they grew out of it just like you grew out of hardcore, but if for some reason everyone wants you to stay in one, you know, line and it's like, you all get older, older, you all want to kind of write. And that totally makes sense. You're getting into Travis or getting into, you know, looking back at the beach boys or getting into the band and you sort of hear different things and want to express them that way. And, um, you know, the, what was the, you know, what were some of the reactions to the record that you guys had? And, um, you know, I think I think this one is more people people in I've, the people that I've talked to have kind of liked it after early they didn't and then after they do, which is almost like um, they had to like kind of grow up to to like it. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. I mean, I think at the time, I, uh, you know, again, you know, looking at the message boards, um, the, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a shocker for a lot of people. I think um, it was not. It, the tempo wasn't like super fast. It was, you know, there was a lot of mid tempo in it. The the guitars were crunchy, but not that crunchy. Um, we weren't, you know, using the Marshall half stack, you know, you know, we switched using the, you know, switched to a, like a Vox AC30. You know? I was about to say <laughs> Vox, of course. <laughs> yeah. 
but you know what I mean? It, 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 for a lot of the people that were probably likely wanting to hear more post to break, it was a, probably a disappointment, I would say. Uh, and, and, you know, I would think, you know, so, but for a lot of the people, I mean, I think, yeah, I think, I think for us, it was a big graduation, like in terms of sonics and like songwriting and uh, an achievement on our part to, you know, to get better and stuff like that. But I, I think, you know, the, I think it was mixed. I, I, looking back at it, I think from, from the kids, you know, at the mm-hmm. time. I mean, I think, you know, I think the don't let it fade song is, is super catchy. Um, it's just, it just seems like people needed to kind of grow up to it and, and connect with it later, which is totally not helpful at the time when you're touring and (laughs) playing the record. But I think, I think, I think that's what happened to it. Yeah, I I agree. I agree with you. I mean, and you know, for us, we were growing up too. So it was like our like statement that we're like, you know, Hey, you know, we graduated college. Um, you know, we've, we've gotten some jobs and, you know, we're growing up and, and part of the growing up process and being a musician is, is like learning to, to do things different ways and to push yourself. And I felt like we really pushed ourselves. I mean, we, I mean, Ian, Ian and I would, you know, flow, flew up a couple of times to, cause Tony Lash worked on the record with us as well and produced it and, um, recorded it and mixed it and all that stuff. And we'd, fly up to Portland and I, I mean I just remember like times where I, I wasn't performing well and it, it was like it was it was hard work to create that record you know um, a lot of people don't know that but the, it, it was it was a lot of work um, uh, just you know a lot of disappointment maybe I didn't perform as well <laughs> in the studio and it was a lot of going back and forth and um, so but, uh, yeah I, I it, it, I think we're we're trying to make something more like, uh, well, I don't want to say elaborate, but like, it was the first time we're definitely like you and I were put under the microscope. Cause it was the first time we worked with um, a producer, um, and uh, and well, someone who's like overseeing the record, and and so it was just like you, you really had to. It was like I, I, before it was like we do takes. You know, we're recording it ourselves. We do take. Ah, oh, that wasn't good. Uh, that was better. Ah, oh, that one's tight. Okay, we, let's do that. And it was the first time it was like, but. And, and this is the great educational aspect of it, of that we're talking about, like, guitar tone. It wasn't just performances. Like, we're talking about the tone. And I, and before then, I was like, you know, I had my clean sound and I had my dirty sound, and I didn't have anything between. And it was on the Californian where I found that, like, middle ground between sound. You could have a little a clean sound with a little bit of breakup. And um, and it was, it was cool because it was... It was, uh, it was I think the California was just kind of huge, not growth experience, um, not just in terms of like creating something a little different from what we were used to, but also like learning stuff about our craft, I guess you could say, you know, like making, finding this, this, this cool guitar sound, you know, as well. But then again, like what I was saying was like, we were put under a microscope and trying to get, you know, do like the performances and stuff. And it was a situation we put ourselves in and I, I think came out pretty, you know, uh, think stronger from it grew grew from it i guess is what i'm trying to say no that's totally it i mean you guys were being ambitious because you were trying stuff new you weren't just gonna well let's just record it together and we're gonna make it sound like this and this is you were kind of having other people look at you and and say yes or no um and you know trying the sounds trying something different that that's all i feel like bands want to do and sometimes the fans want to ride along 
and your Radiohead, and sometimes the fans, you know, are like, I just want to hear, you know, um, I just want to hear Four Minute Mile record ten times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because that's, that's the, I think the same thing happened with the with the Get Up Kids, um, with um, you know the Guilt Show or um, just kind of the they they just weren't ready. Um, and when you know from this record, and I don't want it to be all negative because but it is sort of the end. I mean, when did you guys kind of say, all right, this this has been fun. <laughs> you know, we all love each other. This this has been fun. Let's kind of do do something else. Was it the job? Was it the time was it seeing other bands and buses and you know boatloads of money what was the thing uh, i think yeah i don't know what it was what was it exactly well like oh i think it was when tom, james left right you think yeah well first first tom left and like there there's this kind of like i don't want to call it a mass exodus but when there's four of you and half the people off. That's a mass. Does that constitute a mass? Anyway. So, <laughs> that's a mass. So, oh, so, that's a mass. so, uh, so, um, Tom left first. It was Tom, yeah, Tom left first and he went, he went on. He's just like, he had made a decision to not, um, you know, perform music in a very, you know, I don't want to say professional cause we're, I don't think we're professional by any means. But just you know, he was just going to kind of do his own thing, and he still wanted to play, continue playing music. But he was done, you know, doing the it, when you doing what we do, where it's we put out records, we tour, and everything's done very. And there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of sacrifice involved. Anyway, so he he left first, and then we actually the next um, after that we did I think maybe like two more shows after that. And we had uh, Gabe Gamboa um, of uh, of um, um, from San Diego, who Ed's friends with, and I actually went to school with. Um, from um, oh my god, I can't remember the band's name. He's gonna kill me. <laughs> it was a Revelation Records band. What year? Ed. Ed Holiday for uh, Kill Holiday. Kill Holiday. Kill Holiday. Holiday. He's from Kill Holiday, and uh, <laughs> thank I'm God sure. I'm here. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, well, no, I mean, that Holiday. Well, uh, what piece of history? They were originally called Holiday and then changed it to Kill Holiday. I True. always have that. Anyway, but I'm terrible. I can remember um, the word Kill. Um, <laughs> so he felt he he jumped in um, for the last few shows. Um, more or less joined. Was he? Yeah, he's part of the yeah, band, right? Yeah. Yeah, we bought him. And so so he was in there and then uh, a few months later then uh James Tweedy, who was the new bass player because Ed went from bass to guitar and vocals, and we then grabbed uh James who was also working at Crank. <laughs> and uh he he was he was playing bass and he left to do uh the Bronx full time. And this is probably what 2003 at the time. Yeah, 2002, something like that. Yeah, 2003. Yeah, yeah. that's a 2003. And so now, now we had no bass. We now, at that point, we had no bass player, and we had a drummer who lived in San Diego. And I think it was at that point where we were like, I, I, I vaguely remember talks because Ed and I lived down the street from each other at the time, and. I remember we had talks of like, what if we just started? It, it started as a, it wasn't like a decision; it was a question. It was like, 
what if we just started over? What if we just threw everything aside and just let's, let's start fresh? Everything we've been doing for the last, God, probably like eight years of our lives or whatever, we're like, let's just start over. And it was, to me, it was the scariest thought in the world. It's like, you're, when you're a part of something and we got to do stuff like put release records on this label and this label and just, just get to, when you get to, you know, at that age and you've got to tour it and stuff, it's like to, to start over is just, it was, to me, it was a scary, a clearly scary thought. But I have to leave it to Ed in that he, uh, well, I wouldn't say you talked me into it, but like we, it was, it was this ongoing discussion, and, and at the in the end, it was just like, yeah, let's do it. I think there was a moment where we were like, we we said we're not going to do it anymore, and then we decided to resurrect it again. Do you remember that, Ed? We're we yeah, at a bar one yeah, night, we, and I was like, let's let's, let's call let's, <laughs> let's call Matt Lunsford and tell him we're getting the band back together, and then uh, yeah. but we ended up not, and then we and then that's how the whole the other band came out of that, so. But it was it was just a it was for it was definitely like a several month long discussion that started as that started as a question a scary question so yeah I think that's it felt great. good it felt good after though to, to start anew you know to yeah it just seemed have closure yeah have closure move on you know have all those relationships kind of and yeah everyone leaving and back and forth and people in different places yeah it seems like going back to square one is super scary but then also it's more exciting because you can try new things and and you know right now we're, we're talking about the band the little ones and um i guess you know some of the ups and downs you know being removed from the sunday's best stuff um you guys are obviously still doing it. Um, you guys have a new record, correct? Yes, uh, we are. We are pretty much done writing. We have two more songs to finish up in the studio, um, and uh, yeah, we should probably have a some sort of June June release, summer release for sure. Um, yeah, just excited. That in itself took. <laughs> like three years in between, you know, records. So, was that because I mean, how many how many little ones records are there? There's there's two, right? Yeah, there's yeah, there's uh, no, there's there's one full length. Uh, it's Morning Tide, and uh, actually two EPs. Oh. Um, Sing Song EP, which is the first EP we released ourselves, and then uh, Asteroids picked it up, and then the second EP we released ourselves called Terry Tales and Fallen Gates, which was uh, in between the. Uh, between that, ah. so this is gonna be our second second full length. So nice. And then, so you guys are excited. What's what are some of the plans you have for it? Is it you now? You guys both have full time jobs. I, I assume. Yeah. What's the what are the is it sort of the back to the doing this for fun, doing this to keep active, you know, musically. What are some of the goals you kind of have for this record? Well, I think yeah. I mean, part of it is to. You know, obviously we enjoy, you know, doing it and doing doing it for fun. Um, obviously we have full-time jobs and, you know, I think I think the venture goal is just to get it out there and, and we want to um, release it on our own label like we did the uh, the EP. We, we started a label called Branches Recording Collective, just just us, you know, and, and excited to get that off the ground and to, uh, you know, to put it out there and, and have total control over it and decide where it's going to go and, you know, be responsible for, you know, the failures or the success of it, you know? Um, 
it's yeah, kind of going back to zero in 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 every sense of the word. It's 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 going back to there's no other people involved. It's just you guys. It's it's you're the ones that are gonna make the decisions, make the mistakes. Um, it's it seems like a good place. Yeah, yeah it's you know, definitely. Uh, it's definitely DIY, and uh, which is great. Which is how the band started. It was uh, when we put out the EP ourselves. It's like it was. We always would harken back to the like this is all just DIY we don't need anybody else we'll do it ourselves and then lo and behold all these people come to want to help you and it was a fun ride but now we're just back to like look this is what we want to do on our time in our in our time frame um, and like you said we're, we're all back to work and we're, we're going to fund this ourselves and and do it ourselves which is in the end, I think after, the, you know, uh, from like my collective experience is more gratifying, I think, than anything else. It's, it's, it's just better that way. It's, it's more um, uh, just honest, I guess. It's like, this is what we do. This is what we do, and this is how we do it, and this is how we're going to present it. And whatever happens, happens. Like, I didn't have to talk about it. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter. Labels, releases. It's like, we're going to play music till the day we die. If not, I'm going to just shrivel up and I don't know what will happen. And <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's coming from the right place. And, and, and you're having those sort of relationships and, 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 and people are connecting to it. And that's all that matters. You guys aren't like, wow, we're going to be in a bus and going to headline this crazy tour and play MSG. And if that happens, great. But if it doesn't, you guys are content with making great music. Yeah. And yeah, yeah I mean, that's what it is. You know, you, you, you got to do it because you love it, you know? Um, and we certainly, you know, we are fools to say that, you know what I mean? Like we've been doing it for years, so I don't know anything else. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, have you, have you guys touring with the little ones? Have you found any, you know, Sunday's best fans that have yelled out songs or anything like that? Yeah, I figured. Well, there's, there's always a couple, right? I mean, well, there was a point in the first kind of touring year of the little ones where other guys were getting annoyed. <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I'll say it. specifically, Greg got mad. He's like can there not be a night where I have to hear about Sunday's best? Like this is like a quote of the, you know, of the current tour from, uh, from the drummer of the little ones. And then, uh, sorry, did you have one? That was one. No, I was just saying that there's always random. I mean, I remember playing, we were playing Maxwell's with like raw, raw riot or something. And there was like, I was standing outside and these, this couple came up to me and it's like, oh, I was a fan of you guys. I was a fan of Sunday's best, you know? And I was like, what? You know, it just like catches you like out of the blue, you know, where that's the introduction to the, uh, to the little ones of Sunday's best as opposed to like, you know, the other way around or something like that. So, yeah, you know, that, that uh, just I, means that, yeah, yeah that along the way we did something, you know, good at some point, you know, <laughs> to get return yeah. customers. Yeah, well, I, the other thing is, too, is just, like, kind of the, I think the, the the reach, I guess you could say, it was kind of unexpected. It's, like, we do this stuff, and we think, you know, maybe somebody will hear it in, you know, in Midwest and East Coast, and, and um, uh, where was it? Do you remember, um, we were playing a show in Scotland um, with the little ones, and uh, 
It was um, crap. Hey, what was that one? Are you talking it about wasn't Aberdeen? No, no, no. It was the. Uh, uh, it was like oh, uh, Dundee, Dundee, Dundee. It was a. Uh, it was a random town in and or not a random town. It was a. It was a city in Scotland, and uh, we played the show, and we got that. We played the show with uh, I think we are scientists or something, and then. We got done. We're 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 walking out, and you introduced me to this kid, and he was like in tears because he was a Sunday's best fan. That's and awesome. Like, and he was in Scotland, <laughs> Dundee, Scotland, and we're like, really? I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> and that's why, and that's why sometimes you like you remind yourself that um, you know it, we did we did something right. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, we did something right, and it's, you know, it's worth it, and that's the kind of connection that you've always wanted back in the days, you know? That that um, you just want to connect with the kids, and then that just proves that it, you know, it can happen, you know, so... Yeah, I, I, I think if you guys, I mean, you've probably heard it from those fans you said, but just running this site for however many years and being involved and um, however, I mean, I've only have a small part in the scene, but people do reference the band. They reference um, you as someone that's in, influential. I think, you know, it doesn't pay anything, but I think for you guys to know, like you are mentioned um, along with a lot of these bands. And I think, that's awesome, and I think people bands strive for that, and I think you guys did do something right, and kids are think are still listening to it that want to play this kind of stuff. Do listen to that record. Um, well, see that that blows me away. I, I don't know if I was just like that blows me away. That's so it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, people do mention it. I mean, I actually tweeted out today. I was like, listening to Sunday's Best on on repeat. This kid favorited it. One wrote back, like, love them, like it. it it's if 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 you guys want to stroke your ego, like search Twitter and like just search your name um, once in a while. It's kind of funny. It's not my, like not you're not your name, but like the band's name. And it's you'll see just random, you know, people and and foreign countries. I mean, like England and 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 you know East um, Scandinavia. Like they're they're way into this stuff. Um, there's a band from oh where are they from? Oh, is it Russia? There's some like there's a whole resurgence in like mineral type bands in Russia. Um, wow. Yeah, it's just it kind of circulates and and people find out about it. And I think it's just uh, interesting to hear. And then you know you guys are mentioned and it's definitely definitely cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and speaking of you know reunions, this is definitely the year of the reunion. Um, you know, with Refused, Promise Ring, the list can go on and on. Bands are coming out of the woodwork and say that they're back. Um, what is it different, you know, today than maybe five years ago when I feel like these bands wouldn't be caught dead talking about it? Do you, if, can you guys answer that? Because I can't. You know, uh, no. yeah, I do you know. want to take a stab? I mean, I have theories, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I, God, I don't know. I don't know. Because if you if you asked these because if you asked five years ago these questions or this thing no one would have done it I, I'm the one wanted to talk about it no one and it, was it the bands that were my view is the bands that were happening at the time were completely you know not associated with the with with the name if it's however taboo the name is they weren't you know sort of from it as much or at least came out of something it was you know straight into tour buses and giant contracts. The other half, I feel like, is the 
you know the, the bands aren't as weren't weren't as comfortable talking about it um, because it was like their last record didn't do well and they weren't as you know <laughs> like things kind of didn't yeah. go well and now it's like right. oh wait you guys cared about us and you have kids and you're gonna have a babysitter come so we can go see us okay we're in <laughs> yeah th- I think that's yeah. a good way to put it because it's like there, there's there's one part of me that thinks like there is this there's a resurgence and like or people are trying to kind of relive okay so the cynical side of me thinks there's there's like a reliving of the glory days, right? That's that's the that's that's the evil side of me, I would say, because it's just you know it's just it's 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 grounded it's it's in self you know you know uh, anyway. So the the positive side is this is that I think there's a point that some people hit in their lives where where you look back on like you know your your 18 or your 19 year old self, right? You look back at it and like when you're in your, like, say, your mid or late 20s, and you go, and you look at that person, you go, God, I'm so embarrassed by that person. The 26-year-old me would definitely beat up the 18-year-old me or something like, you know, you, you say something stupid like that. And and you, you think, you know, if I knew then what I knew now, oh, man, things would have been great. All right, so that's then. And then you flash forward another five years or maybe 10 years, and now you're in your early 30s or whatever, mid-30s, um, and you and you look back on the point, and you're like, God, that middle me was actually the douche, and the early me was actually genuine and doing what he thought was right at the time and wasn't consumed by what other people thought or what he thought. He was just kind of doing his thing, and it was like a, a, it was an actual genuine moment. And I like to think that that's why this is kind of going on, that people look back on this, and not as a heyday or whatever, but it's like, this was like a genuine moment in my life that I want to not necessarily be nostalgic about or will live, but just kind of like tap into, I guess mm-hmm. maybe, mm-hmm. and like share it again. So that's what I hope is going on. In a nut- that, that's, so yeah, that's it. That's what I hope is going on. I, no, I that's think why that, I would do it. I, no, I think that's a really good interest. The way that you kind of explain the two sides makes total sense. And I think I, I'm hoping that more bands are the latter and not the first part, um, yeah. and they are looking back, like, man, I kind of do want to, you know, play these songs again, because um, for a time it was, if you even yelled out a song from that first record or that second record, you got glares, you got headbutts, yeah. uh, and, and it's just, it's just funny that, yeah, it just, it's like you didn't care about this five years ago, but now people are yelling these songs and now you're going to do, I mean, the whole playing a whole record, you know, of a tour, (laughs) you know, you know, I think, I think the clarity tour made total sense. And I I mean, everyone knows I'm a super fan of Jimmy Eat World, but like the clarity tour made sense. Um, You know, they didn't need to do a static prevails tour, obviously, but there's some bands that like, Hey, we're going to do six nights and there's going to be a record at night. It's going to be awesome. And I don't care. Um, and I don't know. There's just it just seems like they're just you know squeezing as much um, babysitter money um, out as they can, I guess. <laughs> That's yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I, I I think that's the thing. Like I've definitely been going back in the last. Like I was telling Ed, like I, I went back and listened to a bunch of old stuff, like. Uh, Sorry, I was, uh, Ed, I mentioned it, right? I put, I put my girlfriend on the drive home from L.A. one night. I was like, I was like, I need to listen to all this right now. And I just kind of listened back 
Um, and yeah, it was just such an interesting thing. It's like everything from, you know, this academic sample of like, oh, that's interesting. I chose to do that there to this actual thing that just conjures up feelings and feelings and memories and it's cool. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I, I spend my entire waking life uh, listening to this stuff and you know, you know, talking about it. But um, unfortunately, um, but it is that it is. It's interesting too. There's so many bands that are sound like these. You know, you guys are sound like Mineral, sound like Sunny Day, and they're young, and that's what they kind of they they're like learning about history and they, they want to hear about these older bands. They want to sound like them. It's just funny that there's this new little pocket of bands. Um, and there's some labels that are kind of hearkening from that. It, it's really cool to see that that's happening. And I think there's a lot of scenes that have this happen. And for the emo scene right now, it is happening right now. It is, there's newer bands coming out. It's almost like there's newer bands coming out right now while the older bands are touring one last time before their hip breaks. Like it's that kind of transition. I feel like, yeah. <laughs> um, it's yes. Coming back. It just, it, everything comes back, you know. Yeah, style. everything. And the other thing is, so, no, it, no other band breaks up either, because I thought I saw one of Refuse last shows, and those bastards are playing all over the place now. <laughs> no band ever breaks up. I don't care what band it is. They're not. They've. They've. If they say it, they haven't. <laughs> so, so question for you then: Do you think it's like? Do you think it's cyclical, or it's just kind of just the the natural like evolution of things? You know, uh, make sense. Yeah, I but with this scene, I feel like the it got wrecked so much, and the word emo was associated with goth and cutting, and you know bands like Fall Out Boy and those kind of like mainstream, and it kind of got this, and then it went away, and I feel like if people that were younger saw that and said, wait a minute, there's something else there. What? A, oh, it's Mineral. Oh, it's Sunny Day Real Estate. Oh, it's Texas the Reason. Oh, it's it's polyvinyl. Oh, it's they kind of started digging and finding out that it didn't connect to those bands. It maybe did. I I always make fun of them. I follow boy. I apologize. I know they were into hardcore. I know they get it. It just they were associated with a time that was super MTV, super pop, and it, and and it broke. And I think the the younger people that maybe got into this saw that and went deeper and dug a little deeper. And that's why I think it's back. Um, that's, uh, that's a good point. Yeah. No, that, that's so interesting. Like they're seeing it with fresh eyes, without the negative connotation, and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's like this kind of pure view of what was going on at the time. You know, untainted by whatever was going on. You know. Yeah, and, cultural, and culturally, I guess you could say it. Like, and a perfect example is when I saw Maritime which is before Promise Ring announced these reunions. Maritime played in Brooklyn. I went to the show. I love Maritime. They played forever. This kid, this young kid, he ha he had to have been in high school, was yelling Promise Ring songs. And I was getting annoyed because I was obviously older. I'd seen Promise Ring. I hadn't seen, you know, I've se I wanted to hear Maritime songs. And Davey was kind of laughing. And so after I went up to him and talked to him and, and, and asked him, hey, were you annoyed by that kid? And he, and I was expecting him to kind of laugh and say, yeah, that was super annoying. But actually he didn't. He said, no, I, he probably never saw us. He's like, and it feels good. He said, it feels good that he's yelling a song of mine, because if they weren't, they wouldn't be here. 
And for him to say that kind of turned me a little bit and said I shouldn't be as negative about that. And and that kid actually probably is going to come to the New York reunion show and probably flew out to Chicago, and it's like such a big deal for him. Wow, that's true. Interesting. And it re- it really did affect me in thinking this is this is important. And Davey saying that they I'm they're here because they like my songs. That's a good thing. And that just it totally turned the way I thought. And I think that's kind of what's happening. People are coming up to you guys on those little ones tours, and they're probably they can't wait to tell you that they like Sunday's best. And you're like, wow, they came because of that. That yeah, should be the ultimate yeah, compliment. Sure. Yeah, no, definitely. It's like it, it's interesting. It will another part is like the that people are taking the time to to acknowledge the the history of what is like going on in front of them, which I, I think is a huge is a, is a huge nod. Like you said, they're a fan of that, which knows which they know you like you're associated with this, and therefore they know the history of that, and it becomes and yeah, it's definitely such a yeah. It, it's like what more can you ask from someone? <laughs> you know, it's like. It's interesting, I think, to to you know you can know like the complete you know the the, the empirical evidence, but then it's like okay, they like your music, they know everything about your music, and then they they really feel your music, and yeah, exactly what you just said. It's 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 important and and a huge uh, compliment, I guess. It's crazy. Yeah, crazy. and yeah. It, it, was such an interesting moment and I think bringing it back to you guys like that there are people that do think that about you and I, I'm super psyched and this isn't just a whole rah-rah fest this is this is an open discussion and I think you guys really hit a hit a nail or hit a hit a chord with a lot of people from that time frame and um, you guys should be super stoked and that you are still making music because that's the one thing I've told this on this podcast too when I see bands I tell them please keep making music because I want to see that progression. I want to see that movement. Like, I, you know, some people go to acoustic guitar and, you know, keep playing music. That's fine. It's just, there's a, you want to feel those feelings again because everything around you is so different and changing and, and hard and there's 401ks and, and kids and things and, and all you want is, you know, Davey to sing, you know, happiness is all the rage. That's all you want to think about. Um, yeah. So... <laughs> Love that song. <laughs> um, so yeah, now that was uh, sorry I spoke uh, long and winded about it, but that's <laughs> you know I think that that's kind of in, in testament to you guys. That's sort of why people are here. That's why people are talking about it. Thanks, man. Yeah, sorry, I, I'm a little floored. <laughs> <laughs> Floored that floored that people care, or just floored that I could talk that long about emo. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Both. <laughs> no, it's it, you know it, at the end of the day, it's like what makes you know it what makes everything worth it, and that's exactly why you decide to to play music, you know, in general, is to be heard, you know, and so uh, you know it it really you know the compliments of, from from people, it's just you know it means a lot to to us and you know makes it special and you know that's why we just keep on doing it it's you know it's to to keep keep it keep the dream alive man you know (laughs) let's make a list of our abuses 
history, it's really cool being a part of that, I guess, era, as well as transition into the, uh, you know, internet days and web 2.0 and all that. And so we got to, we got to live through it and we got to see it from like this perspective. And then we got to see it from the little one's perspective and, and, you know, there's stuff that there's positive and negatives on both sides, but I think I, I just see it as a rather, rather fortunate kind of lucky thing to got to like have a front row seat, front row seat, um, so to speak. I just remember something. Hey, remember, I, I, sorry, I just remembered something crazy. We were on tour with the little ones. And we we toured with the 1990s in the states. Uh, 1990s is a Scottish band, and their tour manager was uh, was a uh, Mered. Um, oh, oh, it's um, it's uh, was Will, uh, well, Bill William from uh, Raina Maria. No yeah. shit. Yeah, he went on to tour manage, kind of specializing in uh, European acts and stuff. Yeah. Wow, I was just listening to Raina Maria today. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> Small world. That's awesome. Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also printed volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com